Good morning. Do you feel uh, revived? Did you get a good night's uh, rest, a good night's sleep? I know I did. Uh, after four messages, I, I didn't realize how, how worn out you could get. And so I needed a, a good night's rest, and the Lord has revived me. And I praise the Lord uh, for that and also through my morning devotions. And, uh, and, and God has certainly been good to us. How many of you are being blessed uh, with the spirit of revival and reformation thus far during WYC? You know, um, I'm going to start off with the word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and start. We're going to talk about the word of God and it, the role it plays. I think the, the, the paramount role that the word of God plays in the work of revival uh, and reformation. But before we get started with that, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for reviving us. And Lord, we also need a, a change in our th ways of thinking, our thoughts. And we also pray for reformation. And Lord, we uh, invite your presence uh, to be with us here uh, this morning. Speak through me, also speak to the hearts and minds of those who are listening, and even uh, as I listen to the message. And Lord, we also um, just want to bless or, or ask for your blessings upon WYC uh, as a whole as we continue uh, with, the, with the conference. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. The Word of God, Revival and reformation. I want to start off with a quote. Ellen White says in First Selected Messages, and many of you know this quote very well. She says, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest, the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our second work. No, the, our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessings of the Lord. Not because God is not willing to bestow his blessings upon us, but because we are unprepared. We're unprepared to receive these blessings. Because if God were to bless us when we're unprepared because we're pr proud uh, or selfish, when God gives us those blessings, we'll abuse it and use it for our own glory to enhance ourselves. And, th and that's why it's so important that we prepare our hearts in order to receive revival and reformation. Another quote that we're very familiar with, a revival and reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. They're not the same thing. As a matter of fact, revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life. And we need that renewal every day, every morning. Amen? Amen? A quickening of the process of the powers of mind and heart. A resurrection from spiritual death. That's revival. Reformation, on the other hand, signifies a reorganization, a reshifting, if you will. A change, an altering in our ideas and theories. 
our habits and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless, unless it is connected with the revival of the spirit. So if you just reform without being revived, then it leads to dead, formalistic, legalistic, uh, ceremonial uh, acting out of good works. But it's when we're revived that our actions, our reformation, can find its true impetus, its true uh, starting point, its spark plug in Jesus Christ. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work. And in doing this work, they must blend together. That's review on Herald, uh, February 25, 1902. So we're going to talk a little bit about revival, revival and reformation and how it finds its impetus, its, its spark plug, its starting place in the word of God. Uh, Luke 5, 1, it says, So it was a multitude pressed about Jesus. What, to hear some entertainment? No, to hear the word of God. All true revival starts with the word of God. Moving forward, how about Abraham? And I'm going to give you some exa- I'm going to give you some examples of how we see throughout scriptures the word of God leading to a, a revival and a reformation. And we'll start with uh, Abraham. The word of God to Abraham, of course. Uh, God promised that all families of the earth were to be blessed through him, uh, and namely the Messiah would come uh, through his line. We see that in Genesis chapter 12, 3. God also promised a territory, the possession of Canaan in Genesis uh, chapter 13, verses 14 through 15. He, He said, look northward, southward, eastward, look in every direction. And in verse 14, he says, For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. So God promised a territory. He also promised posterity. He said uh, to look up in the stars. And how many of you have enjoyed that? You can do that. You can do that as well in, in, in the big city with the bright lights. But here at Weimar, you can actually see the stars. And wonderful, what a wonderful sight that is. And, and, and looking uh, into Genesis chapter 15, if you want to turn there, uh, this is verse 4 and also verses 5 through 6. This is the promise of God to Abraham. He said, quote, One who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then God brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And God said to Abraham, as as Abraham was looking up, and how many of you, and I mentioned this earlier in another meeting, how many of you looked up in the stars on a very, very dark night with no moon and just saw the countless innumerable number of stars in the sky, and you, you just sat there in awe at the greatness of God. Is it possible to even begin counting one little section of the sky, looking up? And as Abraham is beholding this, as he is in stupor and in awe of the grandness of God, God says to him, so 
shall your descendants or your seed be. The Bible says he believed in the Lord and God accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. As righteousness. So you have the word of God that, that initiates the revival. So shall your seed be. I believe, Lord. And that belief in and of itself revives us by the grace of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This is some of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 4. And uh, go with me to verse 17. And we don't have time to go through this whole passage here. But if you come with me to verse 17, I'm going to go ahead and start and read from there. As it is written, again, uh, revival starts with the word of God. Faith also begins with the word of God. We must have the word in order to uh, exercise faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he or Abraham believed, God, who gives life to the dead. Is that revival? Life to that which is dead? You and I were once dead in trespasses and sin, but God revived us. He gave life to the dead. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did. As though they did. Who contrary to hope. See, hope was stacked up against him. There was no hope. And faith never shines more brightly than when you are in a hopeless situation. Because that's when God can really shine. Or else... If God would have spelled it out uh, word by word to Abraham, Abraham, come out, take a couple steps to the left, couple steps to the right, uh, and, and, and detailed every step of the way, and he showed, showed him and told him every single thing that would occur in his life, then it wouldn't have been, ba been faith because there would have been nothing to trust in. It's when we're, there is the unknown that we lean most heavily heavily upon God. And so we read forward here. He gives life to the dead. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And what was that? So shall your descendants be. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's another element to exercise the, uh, the true exercise of faith is that it does not consider, it does not factor in the circumstances, the obstacles. Faith looks beyond the deadness of Sarah's womb. It looks beyond the fact that Abraham was 100 years of age. How many of you today plan on having children when you're 100? That's right. I surely am not planning on having children when I'm 100. 
That would be unfair to my child. <laughs> so, so it considers not the circumstances, the insurmountable uh, obstacles that are apparently before us. It does not consider those things. He did not, and I like how the KJV puts it. This is the reading from the New King James Version, but, but I like uh, the, the KJV. It says, he did not stagger at the promise of God. He did not stagger. He did not waver at the promise of God. When I think of the word stagger, it's probably not the best illustration, but my dad used to love boxing. And he used to love uh, uh, a boxer named Mike Tyson. And uh, when, whenever Mike Tyson did that uppercut, what happened to his opponents? They staggered, right? They staggered, and then, he knocked, and then, of course, he would knock them out. When I think of that word stagger, stagger, the Bible says that Abraham staggered not. He wavered not at the promise of God. He staggered not. And moving forward, uh, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he strength, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. To me, verse 21, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is the best definition of faith, even better than, in my opinion, Hebrews chapter 11. Because faith is being fully convinced or fully persuaded that what God promises, again, the word of God, that what he promises, that God is able to perform. Amen. Isn't that a pretty good definition of faith? Amen. Being fully persuaded that what God promises, that he, not me, that he, he is able to save me in spite of who I am in spite of myself, that when I look inward, I say, Lord, all I see is, is death. All I see is a proud and selfish man. Lord, who can save me from this body of death? Oh, Lord, I'm fully persuaded that even though I have this dead body, I'm fully persuaded that what you promised, that you are able to perform, and I will trust in that no matter what the circumstances tell me. Oh, Lord, save me. Amen. So the word of God, we need the word of God to inform us what we are to believe in, what, are we, what we're to hold or uh, hang our hat on. And being fully convinced that, that what he had promised, he was also able to, for, per, to perform, verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Are you fully persuaded this morning that revival and reformation will come? The patience of Abraham. You, we need faith, but I believe we also need a lot more patience. How many of you are developing patience in your life. You know, we, we struggle a lot with patience, don't we? I was mentioning in another meeting when the Internet doesn't go fast enough for us. We, how many of you experienced a slow uh, Internet here at Weimar? 
We live in a, gener a fast food generation where we, we, we go to Taco Bell and we get our, our veggie seven layer burrito <laughs> minus the sour cream and cheese, right? But we want it right now. And we don't live in a society that is conducive towards developing patience. I want to talk a little bit about the patience of Abraham and its relation to faith because they're tied together. This, this promise, uh, or let me, let me, even before I start there, in Genesis chapter 12, we have Abraham leaving Haran, or Haran, and uh, so Abraham and Lot went, and how old was Abraham when he left? That's right, he, he was 75 years of age. We find this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abraham and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, you find that the Lord promised, even the, as early as then, that he would give uh, his descendants, Abraham's descendants, so that meant that he would have children, that he would give his descendants this land. 75 years of age. So he receives the promise that his descendants, that, that he would have a child, that's assumed there, and that he would be given a land. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 3. So from that period of time to the point where he, he's, he's wrestling and struggling, am I going to have descendants? Year one passes. Year two passes. Year three passes. How many years pass? Five years passed. Six years passed. Still no children. Seven years, eight years, nine years. Finally, Sarah, Abraham's wife, in Genesis chapter 16, 3, uh, uh, suggest to Abraham that he take her maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband after Abraham had dwelt how many years? Ten, Ten years in the land of Canaan. He receives the word, he believes it, but the word tests his faith because it's not happening. And he's beginning to question whether it's going to happen. That's the struggle with the word of God. God brings us, gives us the word, but then he brings along circumstances that, that test our faith as to whether his word is going to take place or not. Is it ever going to happen, Lord? So he waits 10 years, and he sleeps with Hagar to produce an heir this posterity. And how old was Abraham when, he bore, uh, when, when his wife bore Ishmael? He was 86 years of age. How many of you have waited 10 years on God for anything in your life? 10 years, that's a long time. So then he starts waiting again. 86 years of age, 87, 88, 89, 90, please Lord, I'm, I'm 90 now. 91, 92, 93, 95, 98. Year after year after year, he waits as the word of God tests him. Genesis 21, 5. How old was Abraham when eventually um, Isaac was born to him? 
The Bible says now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. How many of you have waited 25 years for the fulfillment of God's word in your life? Many of you are not even, or some of you at least, are not even 25 years of age in this room. Do you see how faith and patience work together for the establishment of stronger faith? That's why, that's why in Hebrews chapter 6, this, that's why this chapter here and these verses make sense, is when we start comparing and contrasting Scripture Building line upon line, evidence upon evidence. Notice what it says here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Verse 11 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, until, until you're waiting, until, until the word of God takes place in your life. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and what? Patience inherit the promises. He has, Paul has, and I believe he's the, the author of Hebrews, he, is, he understands the context of what he's talking about. He's, he's thinking with Abraham in mind, as you will see. For when God made a promise to Abraham, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had what? Patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The word of God will test you in, 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 in this sense. That's why in Psalms chapter 105, verses 17 through 19, speaking of Joseph, God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold, as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until, that word again, until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord, what's that word? Tested him. As we wait on God's word, we're tested. Do you see the connection between revival and the word of God and faith and patience, the claiming of God's word for the fulfillment of his promises in our lives and also for the church at large? How about the children of Israel and the word of God? Then God said to Abraham, and this is also uh, found in Genesis 15, verses uh, 13 through 14. And God said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Speaking of Egypt. This is a prophecy, by the way, of what is to take place in the future. Because they, his children, obviously, and he has no children at this point, they are yet to be, to be born. And he talks about his posterity being strangers in a land that's not theirs and that they would serve them and they would afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, Egypt, I will judge. Afterwards, they what? They shall come out. Do you believe 
that we're going to come out of this alive? Do you believe that there's a heavenly Canaan waiting for us in heaven? That we're going to come out by the word and grace of God. Quick question. Was it possible in the human strength of the ancient Israelites themselves to get out and leave Egypt? It was an impossibility. It was only through the mighty hand of God that they were enabled to leave Egypt. They shall, this is the promise of God to Abraham and his posterity, they shall come out. And so that word was fulfilled, but you have this, um, oh, before I even get there, that's why Joseph, years later, on his deathbed, as he stated, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. Thinking back to this promise. And he will, he will bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to who? To Abraham. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died. Did Joseph believe in the promises of the word of God? It was as good as done in his, in his mind. It was as good as done, as good as completed. We find that in Genesis chapter 50. And so speaking of the, the ancient Israelites who were familiar with this promise of 400 years and how God would take them out of the land of Egypt. But they're wrestling because the circumstances around them are not improving. They are slaves in bitter hardship and bondage. And the word of God begins to test them because it's not happening. God always does this. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. You could preach a sermon on just those next three words. So God, what? He heard. Does God hear our prayers? So God heard their cries, their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Does God ever forget his, his promises? He remembered his covenant with Abraham. After 400 years, they will come out. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. And then if you skip ahead, because we don't have a lot of time this morning, to Exodus chapter 12, we read, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Canaan. And of course, there's a lot that happens from Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 12, as you and I know. But the Lord took them out from the land of Egypt. And notice what it says in Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones 
of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here, from here with you. The word of God and the 70 years of, of Babylonian captivity. You see, you have the word of God. You have circumstances surrounding uh, uh, the, 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 that circumstances as the word of God is coming to a place where you would expect it to be fulfilled. Then you have circumstances that seem to, impe- or that seem to make it impossible of that word coming to fruition. And so then you have a reaction of God's people as they're claiming God's word. Lord, the deadness of Sarah's womb. Lord, how in the world are we going to get out of Egypt? We're slaves. We don't even own ourselves. And you, as, as men and women of God struggle with God, like Jacob, as they claim his promises and, 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 and cry out, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. And, and you're not going to bless me because of any merit that I have, but because the promises of a God themselves, I claim that. Oh, Lord, bless me. Bless me. And you have this struggle as God cleanses and purifies his people through this testing of faith. The word of God, we we also see this in the context of Daniel and the 70 years of Babylonian captivity that began in uh, 606, 605 uh, B.C. Jeremiah chapter uh, 25, verse 12 and 14. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you God said, and perform my good work towards you and cause you to return to this place. And I will be found by you, said the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, said the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Darius' reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, because he's, he's a captive in Babylon, or his people, he observes in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. He recognized what the word of God said, that the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, would last for 70 years. But as the 70 years are approaching, there seems to be nothing going on in the environment and in the circumstances that would lead him to conclude that At the completion of the 70 years, they would be free to go back to Jerusalem. The word of God tested Daniel. Just like it did Abraham and the ancient Israelites. So we read forward, read on. 
I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord. And this is a textbook uh, phenomenon that we also should be doing. Do you think Daniel is a good example to follow, if, if any, in Scripture outside of Christ? So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, who, what? He keeps his covenant. Lord, 70 years. You, I know you're a God who, who keeps his promises, your covenants. And I claim that. I claim that. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. How many of you believe that before God can come back, prior to his coming back, there needs to be much more wrestling with God? Claiming the words of God, struggling with God's word as you seek for the fruition in your life of the word of God. The 70 years in Ellen White, uh, or what Ellen White has to say about that, upon his death, Darius, within about two years of the fall of Babylon, in 539 B.C., Cyrus succeeded to the throne. And the beginning of his reign marked the completion of the 70 years. Since the first company of Hebrews had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar from their Judean home to Babylon. Does God keep his promises? Praise the Lord. So the first captivity, 606 or 605, plus 70 years takes you to about 536 or 535. Friends, I need to, to wrap up here. The, the message is simple. The word of God ultimately uh, will lead to revival and reformation in our lives. But it's going to take a struggle, a wrestling with the word of God, because God will bring us to circumstances, whether personal, whether personal or corporate, where things do not appear as though God is in control or that God is going to complete the work that he has promised. And when there is a people who began to wrestle with God and claim the promise of God, revival and reformation will come. Just to close, first selected messages, just to repeat this. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest, earnest effort to obtain the blessings of the Lord. Not because God is not willing to bestow his blessings upon us, but because we're unprepared to receive him. 
Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that revival and reformation is not here because we're still unprepared to receive it. We pray as we wrestle with your word, your promises, your prophecies of what is yet to take place. We pray that we will also concurrently be wrestling with, with our own personal uh, lives as, as uh, Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. We pray for purity of heart, purity of mind. But we pray for true revival in our lives so that we will be enabled in the work of reformation. We thank you, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.